Good evening. How are we? We're alive. Man, it's hot, eh? Um, I spent all yesterday with my kids out at the uh, State Athletic Centre in Perry Lakes. They had to run relay races and throw shot puts and jump in sand and... Um, the high jump was so hot, they had people there like with hoses hosing down the mats for the kids to land on so they wouldn't burn themselves. <laughs> Athletics is like an extreme sport, man. This is just, oh, mate, that was unbelievable. And um, so that, that was, so I've been working on my tan. <laughs> feel a bit browner than normal. I'm like the winter coat's coming off. I love this. Um, it is great to be back here at Oikos again tonight. I've been really looking forward to, to coming and sharing this evening. So before we get stuck into this, let me open in a word of prayer and, um, and then we will uh, share in, in the word together. Father, thank you so much uh, for the freedom that we have as a community of people here to, to gather, to be able to worship you in, uh, in freedom and also to be able to open your word and to, to learn together in freedom. And we recognize, uh, Lord, that this is a privilege that uh, many people don't have. Uh, the very thought of something like this for many um, results in, I guess, the opposite of freedom. And so we, we don't want to take uh, this evening and this time together for granted. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, stir us in a new and a fresh way that we would encounter you like we've never encountered you before. Uh, that you would speak to us powerfully tonight. You already are, and I thank you for that. But for our brothers and sisters around the world that don't have the freedom that we have, we, uh, we bring them before you, and we thank you for the example that they set in what it means to fix their eyes on you. And that scripture we just read about how you will uh, never leave or forsake us, and, and your call to us is to be strong and courageous. It's easy for us to do that in this setting, but for them, it's so difficult, and yet they do it day in and day out. What an inspiration. So, Father, be with those brothers and sisters of ours today. May they know that they have family here in Perth who are thinking of them and are mindful of their situation. Uh, but, Father, we ask that you have your way with us tonight, and we look forward to encountering you afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, um... I'm really excited to be able to share this word with you tonight, um, and I've titled this message uh, Wilderness, and so what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to share to start with uh, three personal stories, so I'm not a complete stranger to, to you here tonight, in regards to what wilderness means to me, if that's okay, so just humor me for a moment. So the first one that I'll share with you um, was actually in regards to a dream that I've always had, and that was to be a professional basketball player. So when I was younger, um, things were looking like that was the direction that I was heading in, which I was very excited about, um, and we were just about to go across for a national tournament, and I was captain of our state team, and um, we were going there, and I was told there were three specific uh, colleges from the US that were coming to, to watch quite a few of the players, and my name was on that list, and I was like, man, this is so good. So I've been like this tall, and size 13 since I was 12 years old. So I started playing centre, and then year after year, I sort of went from centre to power forward to small forward to shooting guard, and that's where I am still now. Um, 
But this was a big desire of mine and a big dream that I had. Um, and then about two weeks before this big tournament, I had a really, really, really bad knee injury. And so um, my mum and my dad took us to the team physio. They sent me off for some scans and I had to go to our family doctor after that. And the doctor and the physio and the scans, look, they essentially sat me down then as a uh, 16-year-old saying, if you want to be able to be functional and walk in your 20s and 30s, you need to take the next two years off. <laughs> oh man, I lost the plot completely because my entire life was revolved around basketball and Nutella sandwiches. Like that's, that, was, that was it for me. I'd come home from school, smash down the Nutella, watch some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I've done all my homework, mum and dad. Straight down to the courts down the road and I'd be there till the sun sets and I'd come back and have some curry and rice for dinner and then just repeat the next day. That was my life, man. That was my life. And so working towards the like that was my identity. My identity was completely involved with pig skin through nylon. That, that was me. And when that dream was taken away and I realised that actually this was not going to be a career option, this was not going to be my future and it was going to have to be something else, I almost lost a sense of who I was. And I became like the walking curry puff. Man, I put on so much weight. Um, I got like all depressed. Um, it was, it was, I really enjoyed mum's cooking for the next two years. Um, didn't play much basketball and, um, and the dream was over. And so I felt during that season as a 16, 17 year old, just about to enter my final years of high school. Um, but I like, oh, I've got to study now. Like sports and is not going to get me through. And like, I really felt like I was in some sort of wilderness at that young stage in my life. And the next one is a good friend of mine, uh, the guy wearing the glasses there. His name is Henry Wanyoki. And um, he was, uh, he is a passionate runner, always has been growing up. Uh, big family man. He lives in Kenya and I've spent a lot of time in Kenya. Um, and at the age of 19, he went to bed as he normally would in the evening. Except that particular night, he had a stroke. And when he woke up the next morning, he was more than 90% blind. So as a 19-year-old, just living life out in rural Kenya, enjoying running and being with your mates, to all of a sudden having a stroke and your entire world going like blank screen, that's, that's some sort of wilderness, eh? And so he goes into some, like they have like a rehab clinic for people that go through things like this where he was in Kenya. And so he decides to pursue running even more now that he's lost his sight. But he also takes up sewing, as most new blind people do. He's a unique character, this friend of mine. Anyway, he uh, qualifies to represent Kenya. His first international race was the Sydney 2000 Paralympics in which he won gold in the 5,000 and the 10,000. He is the current Olympic and world record holder for those distances and I think for a half and a full marathon as well. So his personal best time is a 90% blind man running 42.2 kilometres. His personal best time is 2 hours and 36 minutes. So please remember that bloke next to him whose name escapes me is also a freak athlete because he's running the whole way at that pace. It's phenomenal. Um, but... I got to meet Henry and spend a good amount of time with him in 2015. It was the first time that we actually formally met. And ever since that time, almost every year, I spent a good amount of time with him. 
And uh, in 2016, he sat me down and he's like, man, it's so excited. I've got this dream and things are starting to happen. I'm like, bro, what's his dream? What's going on? And so he had been sponsored uh, by Denkarab as well as a group called Standard Chartered Bank, which is a big banking organization. And what they've done is they have actually uh, named 14 different world marathon events in honor of his foundation, which is called the One Yoki Foundation, or Henry One Yoki Foundation. And part proceeds from entry into the races from all the different competitors goes towards this foundation. Now, he set himself a goal in 2015 into 2016 to raise $120 US million to be able to support other people in remote villages throughout Kenya and beyond in the continent of Africa who experience some sort of vision impairment, but if surgical intervention can help, he wants to pay for that. That's his dream. And so he'd started that. He pitched this dream to me. I'm like, Flip, man, this is amazing. This is a huge, a huge dream for some village, remote, blind Kenyan to raise this sort of money on the world stage. This is crazy. Anyway, fast forward to January of 2018. I'm sitting in his home January last year and we're there together and he pulls me aside and he's like, bro, I've got a problem, eh? I'm like, oh, no. Like, how's everything panning out? What's going on? He's like, no, we've hit a massive hurdle. I'm like, why? What's, what's going on? He's like, we've reached our target. They were planning to reach the target next year, 2020. And January 2018, they'd reached their target. He didn't know what to... Phenomenal. So I'm sitting there with my students and he's sharing the story with all of us. And then he drops this line. Because one of the students asked, how do you maintain your motivation in amongst all the obstacles that you've had to face in life? And he said this, I may have lost my sight, but I have never lost my vision. Oh, that's powerful, eh? So if you want to talk about wilderness, man, Henry is living it in a pretty dramatic and extreme sort of way, but he keeps on keeping on. It's phenomenal. This last one is really personal. Um, from July 2016 through to December 2017, for 471 days, my wife, myself, our four kids and our bisexual dog were homeless here in Perth. We lived out of a suitcase each, travelling around in our car, staying in people's living rooms, on couches, sleeping on floors, whatever we could, for 471 days. Now, I won't get into the details of what led to that particular point, other than to say um, we were chasing a dream and following how we thought and still feel that God was leading us. So that's what we were fixed on and that's what we were committed to. And as a result, we had to sell the family home. I just bought my dream car, which was a four-door Jeep Wrangler convertible. And I had to sell that. Um, sold the gym that I had. Sold heaps of our possessions. This is a home that my wife and I built. Uh, after I sold my first business, I bought that block of land. This is a house we built when we first got engaged. This was like really stuff that we would hold on to, you know. And we just had to let it go because... We, we just couldn't survive the way that we were going. And then we spent, like I said, the next 471 days travelling around in suitcases. And probably the most difficult of those moments uh, was around July of 2017. My then seven-year-old son, Deshaun, 
we were in a house in Thornley. Um, my wife and I were sleeping on the floor in the living room. Um, my son was sleeping on one of those yoga mats in one of the spare bedroom. And it was about three o'clock in the morning and he comes out and he's got like a bit of a limp. And I sit up in my bed on the floor and I'm like, son, like, what? are you all right? What's going on? And my seven-year-old boy just looks at me. He's like, dad, when can I get back into bed again? My hip's really sore. And I need to be honest with you, as a father, I sat there with my seven-year-old son. I held him and together we cried. I had no answers. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was really upset with myself that, you know, as a husband and as a father, this is how I was leading my family. And so during those 471 days, there were three specific times where I said to my wife, like, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? I can go to let me go and apply it for a school job again. I'll get a job as a teacher. We'll be back on five or six figures straight away, guaranteed income. Plus, I can get holidays. Things will be a whole lot easier. And she, you know what my wife's response as we were traveling around in our suitcases was on each of those three occasions? She's like, "Hun, you know what we've committed to. Stay the course. Don't give up. Keep going. We've got this. Keep going. Fellas in the room here tonight, my hope and my prayer is that you would find a woman as strong as the one that I have. She was my rock for those 471 days. I was ready to throw the towel in, but she kept me strong. She kept me focused. She kept me driven. She kept depositing hope in me. And we pushed through. So even during those times, between July 2016 and December 2017, folks, I need to be honest with you and say that, man, that was like a form of wilderness that we were traveling through as a family. So these are some personal stories that I've shared with you. But on this next slide, this is something a little bit more general. Have a listen to this. And for some of you, this may ring close to home. The current statistics in our nation tell us that one in seven Australians between the ages of 15 and 44 experience depression. One in four Australians in that same age group, male and female between the ages of 15 and 44, um, struggle with anxiety. That's, that's ridiculous. 25% of that population Struggle with anxiety. The next one's really hard. Every 24 hours in this country, there are 8.3 people in the age group of 15 to 44 who take their life. That's current stats as of end of last year through Beyond Blue. That's where I got all this information from. The other thing that's even more concerning than that, if it can get more concerning, is they say for every suicide successful suicide, there are 30 failed attempts. Folks, you do the maths. How many people on a daily basis in our country between the ages of 15 and 44 are in a place where they are thinking, you know what, the only sensible option is this. Folks, this is the current state of our nation. And if that doesn't concern you, I'm concerned about that. The number one killer 
for people in the age group of 15 to 44 in our country is suicide. Oh, folks, we're happy. We've got everything. We've got MBN rolling out. How good's this? Shopping centres, uh, disposable income, restaurants, um, Netflix, YouTube, uh, the big houses, the fancy cars, all the clothes you could want in the world. How's your shoe collection looking, folks? Like, seriously, like, we're happy people, are we not? All these things the world tells us that we need to be striving for and to have and to own. The very things that Jesus himself said, saying, hey, why store your treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy? Don't worry about your Jeep. Don't worry about the home that you built with your wife when you first got married. Don't worry about your gym. Don't worry about your car. Don't worry about it. All of these things hold loosely because they can come and they can go. What is it that lasts though? Folks, we get distracted and sidetracked way too easily. And actually, when we talk about this topic of wilderness, this story that comes to mind, many of you would know, Exodus chapter 13 and 14, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, it talks about a particular part of history where the Israelite nation were in captivity and slavery to the Egyptians. You guys know where we're at? So um, I've mentioned to you this before when I was here the last time, but when I engage in the Bible, like I'm a very visual person. I need to picture it like a movie scene rather than just like read words on a page, which I love to do. So um, humor me for a moment, but this is my retelling of Exodus 13 and 14 as it pertains to the Israelites in Egypt. Are you there? Are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. So we've got here uh, a, over a million people that are foreign to this particular land who are under control, being subjugated, oppressed, and being enslaved by these Egyptians that have got bad haircuts and weird dress sense. And they are there, over a million strong of these Israelites, and they have been there for generation after generation. This is not like another 10-year project. They've been there for some time. So they've had grandparents that have been working, and then parents that have been working, and the kids themselves that have been working. They've just been working, working, working for these Egyptians. That's all they've known for a very, very long time. And then you get this bloke, Moses, who comes in and starts to paint a different picture of what could be. Anyway, so you have these plagues that come and you've got this battle between Pharaoh and Moses and, and, and God and the land and all this stuff's going on. And then eventually, fast forwarding through the story, the Pharaoh of Egypt is like, enough is enough. For goodness sake, Moses, just leave. Just go. We've had enough. And so Moses is like, yeah, boy, game on. So he sends a word out to the 12, again, this is paraphrasing, right? He sends a word out to the 12 tribal leaders, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, hey, tell all your people, it's on. We're out of here. Let's go. And so they start packing down their tents and get the camels, whatever they can get. They, they load it all up. You've got men, women, children, grandparents, all coming together. A million strong of this workforce. And they've just been given the green lights to leave the city. They're like, we're out of here. And they're marching through. They're feeling good about what's happening. They're singing, they're dancing. And then how's this, right? Just to make sure they knew that God was with them. We're told that God sends like this, this cloud that leads them, this, this pillar, this cloud that leads them right at the front during the day. So they're just following this cloud around. It's like, this is kind of freaky. And then at nighttime, there's a pillar of fire 
So during day and night, they can travel, they can rest, they can do whatever they want, but they're being guided the whole way. There's some supernatural stuff that's going on here. So the people themselves know this really is of God. What is happening is no accident. It is deliberate. There is a purpose for this. And we have some sort of direction here. Let's just keep following this. Now, it's interesting tonight when you look at the geography of the area to get from Egypt where they were to where they ended up, there's a very direct route that they can take. But the journey they go on is like this. And if you have a read, let me just get to this passage here. If you look here in chapter 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, although this was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert and toward the Red Sea. They didn't take the shortest and most direct sensible route. God took them a different way, but there was a reason for this. Now, fast forward a little bit of time and Pharaoh is sitting back. All of a sudden, all the, uh, all the civil projects have come to a halt. Not as many cranes in the sky anymore. There's things that have been like, that we're making some, things just aren't getting done. And he's looking, who's going to do all this work? And he's talking to all these leaders and like, you know, like the mayors and the local government authorities and everyone else around Egypt. And he's just like, oh, I think, I think we've made a mistake. We've got to go and get these Israelites back. We've got to go and get them back. And so we're told that Pharaoh loads up 600 of his chariots. Now understand that back in those days, to have a fleet of about 200 to 250 chariots meant that you were like almost a superpower. So we're told the Egyptians here loaded up 600 chariots. These guys were like the force. He loads up these chariots and says, you've got to go and get these people back. Got to go. And so they just take off in a storm and they start chasing down the Israelites. Now, They've been going through, they've gotten themselves to this part called the Red Sea. And they're there. This cloud and this pillar of fire has led them in a roundabout way to this massive body of water. The cloud's still in front of them. They can't get through this. What's going on here, Moses? And so all the people in in their 12 tribes... Nice 12 orderly lines, as you can imagine. Right on the sea of, of the, the Red Sea there. They're looking around. They're like, what? So you've, got, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. We've come all this way for what? I can't even swim. And so they're there. And then as this, uh, the murmurings are happening and people are starting to get a little bit stressed out, all of a sudden a hush comes over the entire Israelite nation. That would be kind of eerie. Over a million people strong, right on the banks of this water, and all of a sudden, there's silence over all these people. And they start hearing the clickety-clackety of the wheels of the chariots coming along. And they're hearing the whips and the, the, the growls and the aggressive sounds. And they're like, that sounds like those slave masters. And they realize that the Egyptians are chasing them down. And they look behind. The sound's getting louder. The dust begins to rise and they can see that the chariots are right on their tail. And all of a sudden, the silence breaks with a sense of panic. Are you there with me? They're all there. And they look to Moses and they're saying things like, you brought us all this way, all through that desert, 
to get to a point where we can't go any further, just so we're totally hemmed in so the Egyptians can come and just destroy us. Mate, we should have just stayed back there. At least we had shelter and food. What have you brought us here for? And they just start laying into Moses, man. And so Moses is just there going, what the heck is going on? And so he separates himself and he just begins to pray. He just begins to pray. I want to press pause on the story just here. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a sidetrack, so just bear with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 4. If you have a look at this next one, there's a guy's name that's mentioned here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 4. It's part of the genealogy of Jesus in the line of Judah. We're told about this guy, Nashon, the son of Aminadab. It's a crazy name. If you work back in history, this is the research I've done, and this is also speaking with some Jewish leaders and what their scriptures and what their stories do tell them. This particular character is very, very important to them. Let me explain why. At that point in history, as they're standing along the banks of the Red Sea, you've got the 12 different tribes. At the front of the line of the Judah tribe is this bloke. Nashon is the one who's at the front of the line. He's a leader of the tribe of Judah. And we're told there in Jewish tradition that as all the people were there on the river banks or the Red Sea banks and they were starting to get so angry and frustrated and yelling all these things out to Moses and Moses is there just praying and seeking God on these people's behalf, we're told that Nashon, the leader from the line of Judah, is there and he's like, Hell no, I'm not going back to Egypt. No way. That pillar's in front of me. There's a cloud right there. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm going in. We were told to march forward. We were told to keep going. And I'm not going in that direction. I'm going ahead. Yeah. And so we're told that Nashon steps in. And he's like, shin deep in the water. Nothing changes. Takes another step in. Now he's knee deep in the water. Nothing changes. Takes a few more steps in. Oh, what is cold? Still nothing's changing, but all of a sudden the other tribes are like, Who's, what the heck is Nashon doing? He can't even swim. What is going on? Now, there's really something important in regards to the, um, the meaning of names, um, especially in certain cultures. So if you look at Urban Dictionary, um, Nashon, yeah, check, check this out, right? You're going to love this. Nashon, Nashon is um, a black man who is good with the ladies, but often falls in love too quickly. And here's the story that goes with it. OMG, that guy is so hot. Who is he? Oh, girl, that's Nashon. He's my best friend. You should hit him up. Will do. Okay, that's got no relation to... Just had to throw that in. So here's Nashon. He's now found out the water's cold, but still nothing's happening. Takes another step in. He's chest deep. Still, folks, nothing is happening here. But he doesn't stop. He keeps on marching. And as Jewish tradition tells us, just as the water is about to hit his nose, and everyone starts looking around. Moses is up there interceding on behalf of his people. Nashon's out there just, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going forward. I ain't going back to Egypt. I'm going this way. And as he gets there, bang, and everyone's like, Oi, let's follow Nashon, let's go. And they just all march in. 
And then the cloud moves and comes back in between the Israelites and the Egyptians and the Egyptians come through. And then all of that happens. We're told that they cross. The Egyptians are destroyed and God is glorified. Folks, what wilderness are you living in right now? What wilderness are you experiencing as an individual, maybe in your family or in your wider community? What is your sense of hopelessness? Just as the Israelites were on the bank of that Red Sea, knowing that there was freedom and there was oppression, that was getting louder, this looked impossible. Yet that's where they had been called. And Nashon, their brother, steps out in faith. And Moses, their leader, never stops believing in them or their God. There's a couple of things I want to bring home in this story. Let me just focus here on a couple of passages in that scripture first and foremost. The first one I want to mention is this. As I said to you before in Exodus 13, 17, God did not lead them on the road that was most direct, although that was shorter. Sometimes the path that we are called to walk does not make sense. But folks... He is God and we are not. We just got to believe. At the end of 2015, after spending 13 years as a high school teacher, 10 of those as a chaplain on a secure income and a happy house, I was within walking distance from Nando's. That's how good my house was. I'm right there. We're in this space and we're comfortable and we're secure and we're happy. And we feel God calling us to something else. So in obedience, this is what we did. And as I said to you before, these steps, this Red Sea for us resulted in 471 days without a fixed address. Folks, this stuff is not easy. Jesus never promises to make your life easy. But as that Bible reading did say before, and we see this all throughout Scripture, He does promise to never leave you or forsake you. And the command is to be bold and courageous. So if you're seeking comfort and security, folks, you need to understand that can at times take the place of boldness and courage. So what type of person do you want to be? Someone who's just comfortable and secure? Or someone who's bold and courageous. Because unfortunately, sometimes the two do not go together. They don't. Not always. If we go into chapter 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to God. If you're at your own version of the Red Sea and you are there looking at what is ahead of you and you are terrified, folks, you're in good company. That's okay. But what you do in that moment will define you. So what do the Israelites do? Led by Moses, they cry out to God. Yes, the people whinged. Yes, they groaned. Yes, they complained. Yes, they said, what did you bring us here for? We had food and shelter back there. Do you want us just to die here? Yeah, they had all of those doubts and all of those frustrations and all of those concerns. But still, 
this is what was going on and this is what was going on. So do you want to be defined as a person who stands at the bank and just whinges and moans and groans and complains? Or are you going to be one of these people? Or are you going to be one of these people? Because I'm saying there's roles for both of those folks. We need the power of the prayer warriors and the intercessors, but we also need people who will say, hey, while you're praying, I'm walking. We've got to be in this together. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, I love this, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. It's here in Scripture. Moses is there saying, God, seriously, these people you've called me to lead, couldn't you turn me somewhere else? They're just whinging nonstop. And we're told here that God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Just tell the people to move. I've made it clear where I've called them. How much clearer do you want it? I've given you a cloud and some fire every day and night. It's no accident. This is part of my plan. Trust the process. Just go. Go. And Nashon starts off, bang, man, water's nothing, nothing's changing. And just as it's about to hit the point of no return. <laughs> I love this story. So, for you here this evening, as you are in your form of wilderness, what is your response going to be? Hear me clearly, folks. I am not here saying to you that depression is of the devil. I'm not here saying to you that no one should have suicidal thoughts. I'm not here saying to you that we should not stand at the banks and whinge and be frustrated and complain. What I am saying to you is that life is hard. Things do get tricky and sometimes situations feel way beyond our control. But even in all of those things, God is faithful. God is faithful. The God that I serve is faithful. He will never leave or forsake you. So be bold and courageous. And even in what seems impossible, if that's where you know he's called you, brothers and sisters, just march on forward. Go get him. And as you do that, just watch and see what happens. Because in all of it, I guarantee God is glorified. And he will be. Even in your struggles. Even in your wilderness, God will be glorified. Your only task is to focus on Him, cry out to Him, surround yourself with a community of people who will back you in and will march together with you. So if you feel like you're on the banks of your wilderness and you're all alone, that was never the original design. God never promised to make your life easy, but He said that He would never leave or forsake you. And you have a community of people here at Oikos Church who are saying things like, hey, no matter what wilderness you're in, we are here to walk with you. We are going to take a step into that depth and we're just going to keep on marching. We're in this together. We know where God has called us. So come along. Come along. There is one story that I want to share with you in closing, folks. And I've called this... Ravenous beasts and the strawberry. 
And this is something that I was taught, actually, by a Buddhist monk in March this year. And I think there is a huge amount of truth and value in this lesson. Listen carefully. There is a man who is running through the forest or his wilderness because he's been chased by this ravenous beast and he is running for freedom. And he comes through this forest to a bit of a clearing and there is a cliff that's just there. And he stops at the edge of the cliff and he looks and this beast is getting closer and he looks hungry and mean. And so this man slides down the cliff face and as he's about halfway towards the bottom, sees this branch, grabs out and reaches it and he's just hanging there. And then he looks up and the beast is right there on the edge staring at their lunch. And then he looks down and he sees another of these beasts just up ahead looking up at his lunch. And there he is just perched on the side of this cliff on this one branch. And he looks across on the cliff face and he notices the most red, succulent, juiciest strawberry that he's ever seen in his life. So he reaches out and he grabs it and he just enjoys the strawberry. That's the story. (laughs) That's it. Here's the lesson. If you focus too much on what's behind you, you can get distracted. If you focus too much on what is ahead of you, you can get distracted. If you don't focus on where you are in the present, you never know what you might be missing out on. So in this moment of wilderness, folks, that you are in, I am here as a brother and as a minister of the gospel saying to you that my God is faithful and he is trustworthy. Folks, as you're on this bank right now, what strawberries are you missing out on? You never know. Be present even in this moment. Parker Palmer Uh, whoever's playing the music can feel free to come up now, but there's a guy called Parker Palmer. He's in his 80s and he's writing more prolifically than ever before, but he has always struggled with depression. And he thought it was a sign of a weak faith for many, many years. But now as he's in his 80s, he talks about things very, very differently. And he says, you know what? I say in regards to depression that I experience, I call depression my shadow self. And I know my shadow follows me around everywhere. He's always there. Sometimes the shadow just seems a lot closer. And this is what I've learned to do. In those moments when the shadow feels really close, I turn around and I say to the shadow, what is it that you're here to teach me now? And he said that attitude has changed everything. And what was once something that he feared, he now actually embraces because it's actually bringing him closer to the heart of God. That's his story. That's his journey. I can't be here to say to you, embrace your shadow self. Every, each, each and every one of us is going through a different journey, folks. And again, I keep saying this over and over and over again, but Jesus never promises to make your life wilderness free. If you've been told that, I'm sorry, that's a lie. Life at times sucks. It's real tough. And the challenges that we face can at times almost seem impossible 
whether it's financial, relational, whatever it could be, sometimes the situations that we face seem impossible. But we need to recognise that the things of this world, we need to hold loosely. The things that are eternal, we need to never let go of. And this God that we worship promises to never leave or forsake us. As you're standing on those banks, know that He is there. And His hands and feet, the church, we are there. So we're here to stand with you to say, you know what? Yeah, at times life does suck, but we serve someone who is faithful, who is trustworthy, who is steadfast and sure. And even in the midst of all of that seems impossible, we can march forward in boldness and courage. So for any of you here tonight who are standing on the banks of your own version of the Red Sea, maybe you're looking at the ravenous beast behind or ahead, you're not even interested in the strawberries that are around you right now, and everything in front just seems like it is impossible. I'm here to share with you that there is a different way. And if you would like to find out more about that different way, His name is Jesus. And I would love to share more about Him with you. And there is a community of people here at Oikos Church who follow the same Jesus, who would also love to do the journey with you. Let me pray. Father, for the times when we doubt, forgive us. For the moments where we uh, try to think things through in such a way that we try and make sense of it for ourselves and we try and figure it all out, Father, forgive us. For doubting You when we see the most direct and the shortest route from point A to B and yet we sense You calling us a different way, Father, forgive us for the times that we have put all of our hope in our own gifts and talents. Father, forgive us. Holy Spirit, we we need You to increase our boldness and our courage. Jesus, we thank You that You promise to never leave or forsake us. And we thank you that we can do life in a community of people where we don't have to go through these struggles and these challenges alone. Father, just reading through those stats before, our nation is filled with people who are standing at the banks of their own Red Sea, who are experiencing some sort of wilderness at this point in time and their solution is to give up. Lord, I know that must break your heart. Help us as your hands and feet, as your church, as your representatives to demonstrate a different way. Help us to come alongside these people who are struggling 
and to love them in a genuine way, not to try and rescue them because we can't rescue anyone, but just to point them towards you because you can. Father, thank you for all that you continue to do. And I pray for the people in this room here tonight, for any of them that are experiencing a form of wilderness, or that they may not leave here tonight without maybe tasting this strawberry that's been presented to them. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray.